antioxidant. It's a fancy buzzword, but what does it mean exactly? I mean, what do they do in your body? What do they support? Do we even need them? The answer is yes. They're important for fighting free radical damage, which ravages our cells and affects our immunity. So like, yep, we need them a lot. But here's the thing. Glutathione, a master antioxidant that supports the body's natural defense system, declines with age. So it's really important to take supplements and to take the absolute best. Cetria glutathione, produced by Kiwahako USA, can help to maintain overall good health by supporting healthy aging, immunity, and detoxification. You can find it in many consumer products on the market, supplement brands like Zaka, Intox Detox, and Brocco glutathione. We've been taking these products here at Off The Gram, and we can genuinely say we feel proud and happy for adding this to our supplement repertoire. Hey, we're not getting any younger, so it's even more vital to eat healthier, drink more water, and supplement our routine with a product containing cetria glutathione. Want to learn more about this superior master antioxidant yourself, including where to get it? Head on over to cetriaglutathione.com to learn more. Check out the link in today's show notes. think that it's a bad time to go to couples therapy. You know, I work with a lot of people who are like, we love each other. We get along. We just wanted to come in and see if there's anything we need to talk about. Welcome back to an all new season of Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss and navigate the ever changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Heidi here. Today's guest, Elizabeth Earnshaw, is a relationship rock star. Working with couples over the last decade, Elizabeth has helped save countless couples from breakup. She's a renowned Gottman therapist, licensed marriage and family therapist, clinical fellow of the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy, and an influential Instagram therapist. You can join the 243,000 followers who turn to her for advice at Liz Listens. Elizabeth is the head therapist at Actually, where she works to make relational wellness mainstream and accessible. She also owns a Better Life Therapy in PA and New Jersey, supporting clinicians who are helping couples every day. Hey, it's Megan. So with all of this expertise, it was about time Elizabeth wrote a book. Her debut, I Want This to Work, is out November 30th, and it's a trustworthy, inclusive guide to navigating the most challenging relationship issues we face. She helps couples learn to work with the three challenges they must tackle to repair and strengthen their relationships. More on the big three when we bring Elizabeth on. But also important to note that the author worked hard to ensure her book was culturally inclusive, LGBTQ. QIA plus friendly and written for both married and unmarried couples. We're excited to welcome Elizabeth. So tune in if your relationship is on the rocks and you want to make it work. Your relationship actually rocks, but you'd love to strengthen your bond even further. All right, y'all. So Jamie here. Okay. So let me talk to you about a guest that we're about to have on. But first, let me tell you how we got to this place. Because a few years back, like pre-pandemic, when events were still happening in New York City and life was still kind of like a little normal, and I would go to all of these events, I was invited to this one event by something called Cetria Glutathione. And at the time, 
I had no idea what that was. I think something that people might be surprised to know about the influencer space and the influencer landscape, since we are off the gram, and that's a big part of what we talk about, is there's actually like a big amount of education that we get as influencers. When we talk about a product, it's not because we're coming into it blind and somebody just asked us if we wanted to work on a campaign. Like if we're going to talk about something, especially a supplement or, you know, a category in the health space that really requires us to be educated, we're going to get that education. And the brands are by and large, very good in giving us that education. And this was no different. In fact, this event for me was a real eye-opener, kind of a game-changer, because it changed my understanding of antioxidants forever. So I'm going to be totally honest. I went to this event, right? And it was like a masterclass in antioxidants. And I was like, oh yeah, antioxidants, like blueberries. Yeah, I know antioxidants, because we all talk about antioxidants. It's a buzzword, and we think we know it. What I learned in this masterclass was that I had no idea, really, what antioxidants did or why they were so important. So I think when push comes to shove, many of us have no clue about a lot of the things that we just talk about, like in the lexicon of wellness culture. And it's really important for us to listen to the pros and keep our ears open so we are really informed consumers. So luckily today, we are being joined by Danielle Citrolo, Doctor of Pharmacy and VP of Scientific and Regulatory Affair for Kiwahako USA. So she is here to talk about antioxidants and specifically Cetria glutathione and why this master antioxidant is so dang good for us. So welcome, girl. We are so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm a fan. <laughs> Yay. All right, cool. So let's like start with the antioxidants because I've now admitted, like I've shown my hand, I didn't really know what they were all about. And I, I have to suspect some of our listeners out there might be in the same boat. So what are they for those who don't know and why are they important? The quick and dirty is they're critical at protecting our bodies from harmful substances. That's the kind of summary. But really what it is, is they neutralize harmful substances called reactive oxygen species or free radicals. And those are things that are molecules that happen as normal, you know, metabolism in our body, but it can also, we can get excessive exposure to reactive oxygen species or free radicals from our lifestyle. So having excessive exposure to chemicals, toxins, pollutants, cigarette smoke, so on and so forth, it all kind of adds up to kind of create more exposure in our body to reactive oxygen species or free radicals. So think of it kind of as like a pinball in a pinball machine, right? Those molecules are unstable. They don't have an electron. They're called reactive oxygen species and they hit our cells and they do damage to our cells. And over time, this damage adds up and you get organ damage and then it leads to chronic conditions and chronic diseases. It's actually named oxidative stress, which might be another term people throw around a lot. But oxidative stress is basically the imbalance of antioxidants as compared to how much reactive oxygen species or oxidants you have in your body. So antioxidants exist in our body. Our body make antioxidants for this exact reason, to protect our bodies, neutralize from those harmful substances and clear them so we don't you know, have problems long run. But over time, you know, that can be an issue. But specifically, there's a lot of science to show that this oxidative, you know, stress leads to 
various diseases and so on and so forth. So does that, is that helpful? (laughs) That totally like covers it. But I was actually shocked to even find out that like, even just working out can cause like oxidative stress. And I was like, wait, no, something good for me can do something bad. But I guess it's like, if we're stressing our body, we have to be bolstering and supporting it too, right? Oxidative stress and reactive oxygen species happen from metabolism, normal metabolism. When we work out excessively and over time, you know, that's kind of putting stressors on our normal metabolism, which is great for our body in many ways, but it does just create more uh, reactive oxygen species. And it shouldn't be a problem for most of us. It's when the things add up over time. So when there's, you know, exercise gives us so many other benefits, we're not going to worry about that. But we have to think about the other things, the chemicals, the chemicals on our foods that we're ingesting, all those things really, that's where they're created. And that's where the imbalance comes from over time. Totally. Okay. So what is cetriaglutathione? Well, cetria is our brand name for glutathione. So glutathione is really what we consider, and in the science, it's considered the master antioxidant. And that's because it's really capable of neutralizing almost every and any oxidant or reactive oxygen species or free radical. It's not picky. It can take everything down and it can neutralize. I mean, you know, I I can't say everything, but really it's very versatile. It also is highly available in our liver to help detoxify some of the chemicals and the toxins in our liver. So it works that way. And one of the other amazing things it does is recycle other antioxidants like vitamin C and vitamin E. So you get a big bang for your buck with this antioxidant. It's naturally occurring in our body because our bodies need it. In fact, it's naturally occurring in almost every living cell. Even single cell organisms have glutathione. That's how critical it is to the survival and the health of the cell. And I heard it starts like really decreasing at like 45, right? Yeah. Oh God, I'm like knocking on 45's door. So that's for me. <laughs> well, okay, wait. So, but here's what I'm curious about. So your body makes glutathione, but it does decrease with age. You can get glutathione in some food. So why do you need to go out and take a supplement? And why would you take this particular branded ingredient versus like a generic glutathione? And and also, I'm sorry, this is like a two-parter. Where do you, cause no, because I know Cetria glutathione is the branded ingredient and it shows up in a lot of different consumer products. And of course, people can go to the website, the Cetria website, which we will link in our show notes to like a where to find page exists mm-hmm. there. And it exists across a lot of consumer products. So like, tell me a little bit why you need to go beyond food, and beyond what naturally occurs in our cells. Why do we need to take supplements and why should we look for specifically cetriaglutathione? Yeah, so I mean, I don't say you have to take supplements. I say that you should be trying to, A, have the best lifestyle to minimize that exposure, you know, get healthy foods, like very raw vegetables and, you know, less cooked. Um, Everything you can has higher levels of glutathione. So getting it through the diet is first and foremost, because that's where it's most effective, right? But none of us are perfect. (laughs) None of us have perfect diets. And it's just like a nice insurance, especially for those people. I mean, a lot of us are looking at our genetics and we all kind of have, you know, chronic diseases looming over us and we're all working hard to kind of prevent those things. And really the science shows that people that have higher levels of glutathione, whether it's through their diet 
or whether their blood levels are just higher, have a 50% decrease in their risk of some certain chronic diseases. And the science is out there. It's published. It's there. So we know that having high levels of this antioxidant is really critical to our overall health. Again, diet is great. If you want that insurance, I think it's really like, why not? I'm going to, you know, we're all kind of getting older. We know it decreases with age. We know we have to be on sometimes drugs as we get older and things like that. It's just, it's an insurance in my perspective. Yeah. Well, I think it depends, right? Like I remember at this Cetria glutathione event that I went to, they had the many different consumer products. There was one for immune support. There was one for detox. There was one for peak performance. And then there was, of course, one for like beauty and like, you know what? And I was, so my vanity got me. I was like, oh, I want that one. So whatever gets you in, right? Whatever gets you in. But let's talk about that. So like who should be in and why? Can you give us some use cases in life? Like if you had this specific issue or concern, or you had this in your family, you should be especially maybe on the lookout for this type of a supplement. Yeah. And so there's actually beyond being an antioxidant, glutathione has other benefits and that's why you see it in a lot of different types of products. So it actually helps with the immune system as well. It also helps with uh, skin brightness. So it has a lot of other benefits as well as being an antioxidant in terms of like specific cases. It depends on what your concerns are, or what your But I think if you have that lifestyle that exposes you, whether you want to or not to specific, more harmful exposures like toxins or where you work or excessive exercise, you know, that's the person that may want to start thinking, am I getting enough through my diet? Do I want to just add it in? Also like immune issues too. It's been linked to preventing certain, and I I don't want to say a lot, but certain and things like that. So people in that category. Sounds like you're saying everybody, because here's the thing. I eat well, but I don't get enough sleep. I work out a lot. I think we're all exposed to toxins and pesticides. We don't eat organic 100 million percent of the time. We, I actually had a recent whole situation where I went to a holistic health pr- uh, practitioner because I had eczema and he did all this testing on my body and I needed a ton of detoxification from chemicals. Now I consider myself relatively chemical free. So where is it coming in? Well, I started really looking at labels and look, none of us are immune. Every single one of us can be getting exposure to chemicals, preservatives, EMF, you know, electromagnetic stuff in the air. There is so much out there that it sounds to me like pretty much anybody could use a good bolster of their health through the use of a master antioxidant. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is so many hidden toxins that people think that's a great example. People think, and a lot of people aren't even as good as you. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I like to think I'm perfect, but let's be real. I don't know. I mean, I like to eat a lot of fruits and veggies, but I I definitely, I think I'm stressed out. Like your whole body is taxed from that kind of living. So let's talk about really the importance of looking for this branded ingredient, cetria glutathione versus just a generic. And then also where would consumers find that branded ingredient and in what specific products? Yeah. So branded ingredients and supplements, I think I always use my example as like the toilet paper. It truly is a difference in quality when you pick a branded product, because especially in supplements, the manufacturers behind those branded products are manufacturing them in a safe way. They do a lot of science 
to prove that they're safe for you to take and that they're efficacious. So that means they actually do the things that we say they're going to do. So that's really important. And, and they have high quality. You know, we have a high level quality. It's a pure material. It's dependable quality as well. So that's the difference, I think, from taking a brand versus a generic. We make our product by fermentation, which is a really cool, unique method that yields a 100% pure material. So that's the difference of a brand, especially in the supplement space. I really like the toilet paper analogy because I don't think there's one person out there who would not agree (laughs) that you know when you buy an inferior toilet paper. (laughs) And I think with supplements, it's not as evident. You don't feel it as much necessarily (laughs) tactile in your hands, but you, you have to trust that there is science that goes behind a really well-respected, well-researched brand like Kiwahako. Mm-hmm. It's a great company too. Japanese, great quality. They love their science. Oh, well, we are so grateful to have you here on behalf of them today. Thank you so much for giving us the 411 Cetria Glutathione, such a cool ingredient. Do go to our show notes and also go to our Instagram where we will be linking it and go check out their page. Find the consumer products that you can find it in nearby to you. See what best suits your needs, whether it's performance, beauty, immune support, or all of the above, and consider adding it into your supplement regimen. Danielle, thank you for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We're moving on. Welcome, Elizabeth. Or is it Liz? Because I know your Instagram handle is at Liz Listens. Yeah, you can call me Liz. It's just much easier. Elizabeth is a very long name. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty name. Okay, but now you're Liz to me. Yeah, okay, so we're excited to have you with us today because it seems like the pandemic acted like a relationship accelerant. Some couples I know went up in flames and other couples burned hotter and brighter than ever before. So your new book is called I Want This to Work, an inclusive guide to navigating the most difficult relationship issues we face in the modern age. We can't wait to get your expert take on what those challenges are and how to tackle them head on. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Welcome. Hi, Liz. This is Jamie. All right. So I'm going to jump right in. I'm just kind of curious, like, what are the most difficult relationship issues we face? Like, let's get basic here. I want to hear what you're seeing. Yeah. So I, of course, there are still the same relationship issues that people have always faced, but I think some that are particularly challenging right now have to do with the mental load, which is how do we navigate all of that labor that's kept in our brains, but not really talked about and not necessarily like physical. So that would be remembering who goes to the doctors when, remembering that you have to pick up laundry detergent, remembering that you have to make appointments or show up for things. That is something that I have seen become an increased challenge for couples because We are seeing more and more couples be dual income homes where both people are working outside of the home and it's hard for one person to keep all of that in mind. And unfortunately, our norms haven't necessarily shifted enough so that the person who identifies as more of the feminine person in the relationship tends to still be taking those things on, but feeling a lot of resentment. Another thing that I've noticed is really challenging is just making sure that we have enough time for each other. The world is really busy right now, and there are a lot more distractions. So people are on their cell phones. They're on social media. They are out 
chasing their goals. They are working. They're doing all sorts of things. And so couples aren't developing a strong sense of intimacy with each other because they're just not turning towards each other enough. So those are two huge things that I see. Another is that I'm seeing that... And this is something I think that's always been an issue, but it's very challenging is a lot of relationships that are not mutually supportive, which means that one person is doing all of the work to keep the relationship together and the other person is kind of just being dragged along. And obviously that feels so incredibly unfulfilling. And then one other thing that is huge, especially over this past year, is the navigation of stress. So couples are struggling so much to navigate stress. This is always a hard thing for people to navigate, but we have so many more layers built on because of the pandemic and economic hardships and all sorts of stuff. So those are some of the biggies that I see in my office. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like COVID, it's so funny. I'm with my husband 24 <laughs> seven, but I miss him because I like yeah. we don't have date night, you know, we and we work in our bedroom. So we've yeah. lost that sense of intimacy and some of just the special magic that happens in the bedroom when it became our 24-7 domain, like something shifted, you yeah. know? And yeah, but I have an amazing relationship with my husband and I'm really grateful every single day. But I, it's so funny. I always giggle when I hear people say, oh, you're so lucky that he's so hands-on. <laughs> and like I am, but really just from a human to human, like peer to peer model. I don't know why we're 50-50. We're both parents. And yeah. so we do both take on, you know, dual parenting roles, but people are always so entranced by the fact that my husband helps out. Yeah. It's not the norm, unfortunately. And the same with my husband, you know, he's great. He takes on actually most of the mental load, I would say, in our relationship right now. But people will be like, that's amazing that Andrew does that. And I'm like, well, it would be amazing if I did it too, I guess. But I think the, the bigger piece is it should just be the norm in relationships that equality isn't exactly what matters as much, the research has shown, as it is fairness. So of course, there might be relationships where it makes a lot of sense for one person to deal with the mental load. My husband, for instance, is dealing with most of it right now because I have a ton going on in my life and it works. But if he started to feel like it was unfair, that's where we would have to navigate together. What do we do about this? How do we make it so that it feels fair? That's amazing. I'm like, fair relationship? What? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Heidi. Hi, Liz. Hi. So nice to have you here. I read a really interesting stat that between 2008 and 2016, the divorce rate actually plummeted to 18%. Now, Obviously, we heard a lot about COVID impacting divorce rates, but yeah. is that still close? Mm -hmm. And pre, you know, COVID notwithstanding, because that was, it is a very unique circumstance. Why do you think couples are so determined to stay together? Is it financial or is it just because they are committed to staying together? You know, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I love that you pointed out that the COVID divorce rates are probably a lot because of circumstance. So even in 2020, I was reading, and it's super interesting, the divorce rate still kept plummeting in most states. So for example, in Florida, I think it plummeted like another 23% from what it was in Florida. And I think some of that COVID-related could have to do with circumstance. So for anybody watching this, I just want to point that out, that the courts were backlogged. People couldn't 
divorce, right? Like maybe they didn't have anywhere to live or it would be too hard with childcare. So we'll see what happens with those 2020 numbers. But before that, the divorce rate was plummeting, especially among millennials. And I think there's a few reasons. One is that we know that people are more likely to divorce if they get married before the age of 27. And so people are less likely to marry before 27. And so we're having people marry in their 30s and stuff like that, which is just likely going to change that divorce rate because it makes a lot of sense. You're more aware of who you are, what you want. You can kind of speak up for yourself, all of that kind of stuff. So we have these older aged, older aged 30s is not older. (laughs) Watch it, girl. We have geriatric (laughs) marriages. Right. (laughs) Hey, 34 is a geriatric pregnancy. It's such a ridiculous meme. (laughs) So we have these marriages that are happening later in life. And so they're more likely to be long term. But I think anecdotally, what I see from people is that so many people who have gotten married in the last decade or so are the children of divorce. And they, I think, are very committed to not doing the same mistakes again. And that's a huge burden, I think, in some ways to be like, I can't do what my parents did. I have to be better than that in some capacity. But a lot of people are being cautious about who they marry. And I think they are a lot more willing maybe than in the past, to access couples therapy, to try to talk about things, and to try to make it work. And I think sometimes that's for better, and sometimes it's for worse. But I think that those two things might really be playing a huge role. Now, we teased the three challenges all couples must tackle to repair and strengthen their relationship in our intro. So can you tell us what they are and how do we take action? Yeah, absolutely. So those three things that people need to be able to do is obviously they need to be able to manage conflict in their relationship. That is a huge thing that couples struggle with. All couples, my husband and I struggle with it, and I'm a couples therapist. But when couples don't manage conflict well, then obviously their relationship deteriorates over time. And what we found is it's actually not about the issue that the conflict was about. It's about the way that they talk about the issue, the way that they create like a story around what that issue means. And so when couples can learn to navigate conflict in a way that honors each person, that makes people feel safe, that makes people feel like they have influence, then what we see is that they can navigate difficult situations together. The second thing that couples need to learn how to do in order to have long-term, healthy, happy relationships is to heal, which is also called repair. So we're all going to, in real life, have fights. We're going to mess up. We're going to disappoint each other. It's all very normal. But how do you respond to that when it happens? Are you able to non-defensively recognize it and apologize and talk about what you want to do next and make amends? So obviously, that second piece is really important. But it's not all about the bad stuff. It's about how do we make time for the good stuff? And so the third thing we need to be able to do is connect and Connecting is making room for play, for fun, for intimacy, for having conversations about goals and meaning. And so when you have these three things in your relationship, you are offering it a really good foundation. 
Heidi here. So I always talk about balance and part of wellness is finding balance in nutrition, making life healthy and sweet and sharing the moments with our families. Jamie here. So imagine our utter joy this month when we join forces with one of our all-time favorite healthy low-sugar dessert brands, Enlightened, as a partner for today's show. At Enlightened, they believe in choosing to fill life with joy. And what could be more joyful than all of your ice cream aisle favorites served up full of flavor and made with nutrition you can feel great about? Eating healthy shouldn't be a compromise. It should be a celebration. They've got something for everyone. Jamie and I love their dairy-free line, and Megan's family loves the gluten-free line since Meg's has celiac disease. Yeah, my family was also obsessed with their fruit infusions bars. The mango flavor gave me sweet and sassy vibes all at once. Kind of like me. Oh, and as the weather gets colder, it's definitely hardcore cookie baking season. So my kiddos are psyched to try their brand new ready-to-bake cookies that have zero added sugar and bake in under 15 minutes. Basically, Enlightened has something for everyone. Gluten-free, keto-friendly, low-sugar, dairy-free. Yeah, I mean, they have light ice cream bites, keto ice cream bites, those new ready-to-bake cookies, mini cheesecakes, edible dough bites, those fruit infusions bars, and more. Enlightened is impossibly indulgent. It tastes like regular dessert, but just happens not to have all that extra sugar. Find out more about Enlightened and where to find them in your local grocery store by visiting eatenlightened.com slash OTG. And don't forget to use the code OTG10 to get 10% off your order and free shipping. I think the connection aspect is interesting to Jamie's point because I see my husband more than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's right. Like, because we're in each other's faces and spaces all day long, 24 seven, I think I am guilty of not having that date night or scheduling something that feels special yeah. versus transactional. Cause a lot of it is like, so-and-so needs to get picked up at lacrosse. Did you pack the lunches? So-and-so needs $20 for the pumpkin patch. Like, it's become more of that since work from home life has started. And so that's very interesting just to know that you have to build that in. Yeah. It's also, I think that time gets taken away from us too, in that our children aren't doing as many activities. So you don't even have that built in. If you have children time of like, Oh, the kids are going to be there. The kids are going to be there. They'll go to a sleepover. They'll go to camp. They'll do this. They'll do that. And like, those were some of the moments Mm -hmm. Right, that you could really find and capture. Yeah. And like some kids are still doing homeschooling. And so even if your partner is home with you all day, the kids might be there. And then it also, there's this layered stress that you're experiencing. So even if you're together constantly, luckily my son is back in school, but I remember last year we were together all day, but annoyed with each other half the day because I'd be like, I'm in a meeting. Why aren't you keeping him quiet right now? What's happening down there? Yeah, a lot of time together, but not a lot of time to create intentional, connective time. I think we're super drained at the end of the day with all the computers and just information that we're intaking. So if you're like me, you're probably like putting sweatpants on and only half watching a TV show together while you scroll your phone. So it's it's hard. And then another piece is there's like not any space or mystery if you're spending so much time together. So it's, you know, you might have 24 hours together, but if they're not out of the home for some of it, what's the excitement? 
you know, distance does sometimes make the heart grow fonder, even if it's an eight hour workday. So yeah, those things have, I think, been challenging this past year. In terms of connection, how much of it is physical and how much of it is mental? So if you're having a lot of sex, does that mean you're connected? It could. Or does one not equal the other? Yeah, sometimes they equal each other and sometimes they don't. (laughs) It's dependent, right, on what each person is feeling. And that's actually something I see in my office a lot, which is where one person will say, I think we're doing great because they'll feel emotionally connected or they'll be having a lot of sex. And the other person will say, I don't think so. I don't feel connected. And you'll ask them why. And it will be usually one of the two. We're having no sex. Like, yeah, we hang out a lot, but we're not having sex. Or it will be the other thing, which is, so what? We have sex all the time, but you never talk to me. You don't care about what's going on in my life. So for one person, sex might be all they need. That might fulfill their intimacy need. Isn't that like the love languages a little yeah, bit? Yeah, definitely. I When I think about love languages, I just think about the buckets of intimacy that we all need, which is experiential intimacy would be quality time, right? And that's let's have fun together. Let's watch a show. Let's go to a baseball game. Emotional intimacy, I think, is kind of like words of affirmation. And so sexual intimacy, physical intimacy would be that physical touch. And everybody is so different. And some people do feel mostly like their cup is filled if they're being touched enough. And other people are like, that doesn't make me feel connected. I could have sex with anyone and they're not the love of my life. But what makes me feel connected is that you listen to me or that you're interested in me. And the fun thing is, is that usually in couples therapy, people are coming with mismatched needs around intimacy. So this is Jamie again. I'm curious, like, at what point do you know that it's time to let go of a relationship after trying to work through issues? Or the flip side of that is, and I've said this to my husband a million times, like, we're great. We like love the shit out of each other. But I've always wanted to go to a couple therapy because you could always do better. There's things that you could probably improve on. So like, when do you know when it's time to let go? And if you're a good couple, when do you know that it's time maybe to bolster it and make it a little stronger and bring in some professional help to strengthen what you have going? I love those questions. So there are definitely different reasons that people might find it's time to let go. Of course, if there is abuse in the relationship, so if you feel like you have no power, if you feel afraid of you know, physical, financial, social, emotional harm or harm to people that you love and care for, that's definitely not a relationship that should continue because you're not safe. And with that type of relationship, it takes a lot of planning and probably talking with people to make sure that you are doing the right thing to keep yourself safe. But besides abuse, there are a lot of other reasons that we might find a relationship isn't a relationship that you necessarily want to work on anymore. One could be as basic as your goals have changed. So not everybody that ends a relationship hates each other. Sometimes it's like, we really like each other, but When we got married at 22, this is where I thought I wanted to be. We're 40 and I want something very different. And so sometimes people decide to move forward. Another time that you might want to consider ending the relationship is when you're noticing there's not mutuality. And what that means is, you know, relationships are supposed to be a joint effort. And if you're the only one that's working on it all of the time, or if your partner's the only one working on it, And you notice yourself kind of sitting back and not 
committing or investing, that's probably a relationship that you want to make a decision on somewhat soon. Do I want to continue this? And then the final, well, not the final, there's obviously so many others that I'm probably missing, but another big one would be if you feel like it's more often bad than it is good. So if your partnership is causing you the most stress in your life, if it's always a pain, if it's always upsetting, if you are arguing, if you're losing a sense of yourself, it's probably not a relationship that could continue. And your second question, which I love is, but what if you're a great couple and you just kind of want to work on things? I don't ever think that it's a bad time to go to couples therapy. You know, I work with a lot of people who are like, we love each other. We get along. We just wanted to come in and see if there's anything we need to talk about. So you could at any point go see a couples therapist. And if you're wondering, are there specific times? I think that if things are feeling boring, which is happening for a lot of couples right now <laughs> because the year kind of just dragged on for a lot of people, that's a good time. You know, you can talk about how do we spice it up. But there's this other time that it's really good to go in, which is during big decision moments or life transitions. So about to have a baby, have to decide whether you're going to leave your job or not, empty nesting, like any of these things that are going to change the way you have to navigate things can be a really helpful time to visit a therapist. That is such great advice. Yeah, Heidi, again, I was just nodding. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to get back to your book and you call your book an inclusive guide for couples. So what exactly makes it inclusive and why was writing something inclusive so important for you? Yeah, so there's two meanings. One is a more basic meaning, which is that So many of the couples therapy books are not inclusive of information. So for instance, you have to go to one place, and I'm going to get to the reason that's more close to my heart in a second, but the first is that people have to get their information from all these books. So it's like, I'll read about attachment styles here. I'll read about communication here. I'll read about sex here. And it's like all over the place and not integrated. So something that I wanted to do was to include all of that in one book. So that's one meaning. But the other that's more close to my heart is that it's inclusive of all types of couples. It's inclusive of many different nationalities so that people can see themselves in the book. And it also includes topics that might not usually be touched on in other books. And the reason that this mattered is because in my own practice, when I've worked with couples, when I've worked with gay couples, when I've worked with mixed race couples, they will read these books, which are excellent in many ways, but they will come into me and say, I don't know if this applies to us because the books are always very much written from a very hetero white lens. And I'm saying this as a person who is white and hetero. So it was even easy for me to miss when I would read those books, right? Like, I'd be like, this is a great book. And then I would give it to these people who I love and care about. And they would come in and say, the only two people in this book are Barbara and John. Does this apply to an LGBTQ couple? And it does. And there's research around how these things do apply to all couples. So for me, it was a non-negotiable that people could read the book and see themselves included and see how it might apply to their particular relationship. Love that. 
everybody needs couples advice. (laughs) Yeah. And we all struggle with the same basic issues. And then I also include in there other issues that particular couples might struggle with, with different issues around oppression and power and all of that kind of stuff, because those can be layered on in some relationships, whereas they might not be there as much with others. Do you have any universal deal breakers for marriage? Like I once uh, a million years ago was speaking to a couple's therapist and they told me that there were three reasons why they wouldn't see a couple because there was no fixing the marriage if any of these three things were a part of it. Do you have anything like that? I see all couples. So because you're inclusive. So (laughs) there are two camps in the couples therapy world. There are people who won't see couples who are experiencing violence. Um, There are people who won't see couples who are struggling with substance use. Those are usually the two biggest. Some won't see people who aren't on the same page about what they want to do next. I don't agree with that. And I'm also not bashing their own boundaries and all of that. But I think that if people are reaching out for help, that they are reaching out for help. And maybe the way that I support them looks different. You know, if there's DV, if there's domestic violence, I'm not going to be like, you should go home tonight and like have a sexy (laughs) night together. It might look like me coaching them on how to like reduce violence in the home maybe doing one-on-one sessions with people to help them kind of change the trajectory or some safety issues there, coaching them to end the relationship, whatever it is. And the same with substances. You know, if that's happening, it's it's happening in real life. And I think that if people reach out and the people who are supposed to help them, which are therapists, are saying, oh, sorry, I don't help people like that, then where are they getting the help? And it's complicated and it's not easy, which is why I get that people don't love to do it, but I do it and I'm just direct with people and transparent. And, you know, I try to see what we can do to reduce the crisis, reduce the pain, reduce the likelihood of, of harm. Spoken like a therapist who's in it for the right reasons. Aww. Thank you, Liz. <laughs> Thank you so much. You. I feel like we got in such good information in such a short amount of time. I'm so glad that it feels helpful. It feels really helpful. Don't you guys agree? Yeah, I'm thrilled my contractors decided to show up today. So I just have to keep muting myself once again because there's drills and hammering. But we do a really fun thing to end the show, and it's called Karma Call. <laughs> Thanks, Megs. <laughs> All right. So I force Megan to say that every week because she says it's so amazing. But I am the resident yogi, so I will explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests, what is one small actionable item that you could give to us, to our listeners, that we could do perhaps daily for like a week or two that might just yield big change? So small action, giant results. I love it. Ah, Such a good question. Okay. So let me think. I feel like there's so many little nuggets I have in my brain that I'm trying to figure out which one I want to give you. All right. So one of the things, let's talk about relationships. So one little thing you could do that will make big results in your relationship, and it's so tiny, is to learn how to turn towards bids of connection. And what bids for connection are is it's people's attempts to connect with you. So it could be something as basic as me saying, Jamie, I love your headband. And if you returned my bid, you would say something like, oh, I got it from Where'd you get it? Did you get it from somewhere special? 
Yes. Lily Sadoe. All my head bends. That's where you got it from. And you would tell me or you would say, thank you. Yeah, I love it too or whatever. And you would be returning my bid and connecting with me. Now, if I said, I love your headband and you said, okay, why are you telling me that? You would be turning against my bid for connection and I would probably not try to connect with you again. I just wouldn't. And if I said, I love your headband, and I'm sorry to make you the focus, but I do love your headband. It's beautiful. Um, If I said it, if I said, I love your headband, and then you picked up your phone and started texting, that would be you turning away. So this little, little thing that you can do is you can try to notice almost as a game or a challenge to yourself, when are people trying to connect with me? When the barista at Starbucks says to you, oh, you look like you're in a great mood today. How are you? Oh, yeah. Like, it it was great. It was so easy this morning to drop the kids off. Try to respond to those bids. Notice how many people in the world and in your lives are connecting with you because I think you'll be amazed at how often it's happening. What wonderful advice. And I love that. And it also made my heart sink because it made me think of like a few times when my husband will like, you know, go to give me a kiss before he goes to sleep. And I'm like, in the middle of writing something. And I'm like, yeah. you know, and I always feel bad afterwards, but to really challenge yourself to be there, to be open when people are trying to connect and to be kind, especially when it's your romantic partner is the best advice I can actually imagine. Thank you so much for all of your great advice. We yeah. loved having you on. Hopefully you saved some relationships today. So before we let you go, <laughs> can you tell us where our listeners can find your book and also where they can find you on the gram? Yeah. So my book is I want this to work and it is available everywhere books are sold. So you could get it, you know, at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, bookshop.org. I love because it supports small bookstores. And you can find me on Instagram at Liz Listens. And I share lots of fun relationship tidbits there. You rock. Thank you, girl. Thank you. you. It was so fun to talk to you all. Yay. Thank you, Liz. You were awesome. You're awesome. I love your Instagram. I love your Instagram. I'm like, ooh. Oh, thank you so much. That means so much. I really thank you so much for having me today and taking the time to talk to me. Liz has left the chat. All right, guys. What do you think? Are our relationships in trouble or is everybody like, you know? I had so many more questions, but like our time is finite and I didn't want to make it all about me. So it's all about you, Heidi. It's all about me too, though. It's okay. Make it all about you. But I think it's really cool. It's really interesting because I actually said to George the other day, I think we should go to couples counseling. And he looked at me with like terror as if I was, as if I was telling him. And I, and I didn't mean it. That's like PTSD for him probably. For sure. I didn't mean it like that at all. And I was very quick to explain that. Both of us have been in horrific relationships all the beginning of our lives. And we've been together now. We'll celebrate 10 years in January. And we've just had a marvelous 10 years. But I just, after 10 years, it's kind of like what she said. It's not that it's boring. I just feel like, okay, and now how can we be even better? How can we communicate better? How can we be more aligned in front of our kids? How can we make each other happier? I just think relationship counseling, you kind of look at it as just for when things are on fire, but I don't think it is. Like, think about it. We all go to the dentist. It's not because my teeth are falling yeah, out. Exactly. It's because I want to have nice, clean, white teeth, right? So I think maybe going to a relationship therapist is sort of the same effect. Like, things are good, but maybe they could be sparkling and dazzling. Right. It's preventative medicine. Yeah. You know, not not sick care. It's well care. Have any of you ever been to a relationship therapist? I have not. 
Because you're right. Like, Pat and I are pretty spicy. Like, I love my husband. I'm not always the best communicator, though. And I bet you there's ways I could support him better and be a more effective partner. This kind of inspired me. I'm like, I'd love to chat it out. Yeah. I'm a huge, as Heidi, I'm a huge proponent of um, marriage counseling, couples counseling. You know, as Liz mentioned, most divorces happen when you get married too young. And I was 24 when we got engaged and 25 when we got married. I barely knew what I wanted. I met my husband the summer I graduated college. Like I didn't know anything else. <laughs> and and so we both have evolved a lot. And I think that going to marriage counseling helped us so much to communicate, quite frankly, because we were children when we got together and we were acting like children right. and we never evolved as people separately. You know? I think, I mean, if who I was when I was in my 20s is clearly not who I am in my 40s, right? So I can't even fathom. And granted, I've known Pat since we were little kids, and that history provides a, a lot of comfort and context in most scenarios. But, you know, my sister was married in her 20s, and she's been married like 20-something years now. And, and you know, I, that couldn't have been me. The, the jerks I dated in my 20s, oh, that would Lord. not have... Not have ended so well. Ooh, no, no chance. No, very different life would have been had. Well, I think it's fascinating. And I hope that people go, you know, tune in. Tune in to her on, on the gram. What am I, my mom? Tune in to her <laughs> blog. No, but like, you know, this is what I love about Instagram is that I follow her other relationship therapists, child psychologists. And now some of this information isn't so just out there. You can get it at your fingertips and thank goodness, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that's what Liz was saying about like this book only talks about this mm. and this book only talks about that. And then you have to like research and buy all the books as opposed to just scrolling on Instagram and ingesting something good. Amen. <laughs> well, I hope you guys all ingested something good at home today. Thank you for tuning in. We love you. Don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off The Gram Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. 